Hi, everybody. Before we get the podcast started, I wanted to give a special intro to my guest today. His name is Hassan Daniel, and he is the founder and CEO of The Father Factory. The Father Factory is a coaching service that addresses the intergenerational impact of childhood trauma as it relates to child sexual violence in males. It utilizes intentional parenting, biblical literacy, and counseling for fathers who have experienced sexual trauma as children. Hassan, a husband, dedicated father to his two sons, ordained minister, and compassionate speaker, is on a mission to optimize affirmative parenting outcomes for fathers by providing guidance, proven resources, and a non-judgmental community. Hassan's mission is to help fathers navigate through everyday life despite personal dilemmas. Hassan additionally works with families, providing lectures on various topics ranging from inner healing to early childhood development. He is the published author of a book entitled, Where is the Man of the House? Please join me in welcoming Hassan A. Daniel. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. It is Amanda with Your Insightful Life, and I have a phenomenal guest. You just heard a little bit about him. It is Hassan Daniel, and uh, Hassan, welcome today. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you. Insightful Life, awesome work. Thank you for uh, the platform and being able to come out and just talk with you and your audience. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, it is a blessing to have you. Um, We've connected a few times. I was uh, first inspired to reach out to you when you spoke uh, with the Brazelton Institute back, I want to say November. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So how did you, so you're connected with them and you've done some work with Brazelton. Yes. Yeah. So uh, the work uh, with um, particularly uh, Dr. Brazelton, the late Dr. Brazelton, um, um, Barry Brazelton, uh, and and also with Joshua Sparrow, uh, who is the co-author along with him for several of the books that they have written together and the empire that they have built, uh, the Browselton Touchpoint Center. Uh, we have worked uh, in another light, right? Outside of this work that I'm doing, particularly with the Father Factory, we worked with uh, working at an organization or through an organization that I was uh, the program director for out in Harlem, um, where we taught parenting. And so at that particular program, uh, the um, program is called the Baby College. And, uh, and so I was the program director there and I've worked there for about 14 years, along with some amazing other staff that uh, just did uh, some uh, some great work in the in Central Harlem, and so the work that we did with the Browselton Touchpoint Center was really the foundation of the curriculum that we instituted in our uh, nine week program that we had for our parents. So we had a has had a great and continue to have a great relationship with them uh, to. Uh, as they are doing some wonderful work with uh, children all over the world uh, and helping us to understand at the different touch points what it means when we experience this disorganization in our lives because our children are accumulating to another level uh, and how that impacts the family. And so um, they are wonderful people. Uh, Josh and I stay in contact a lot. Uh, to do a number of different uh, uh, works together. And so, yep, excited about it. Neat. Yeah. Okay. So 
I love hearing the fact that you're like, yeah, I was running a parenting focused baby college <laughs> smack dab in the middle of Harlem. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wish we had your book at that time. That would have been oh, so cool. <laughs> did you get it, by the way, yet? I did not. It's in that covered in mail. It's so weird. My mom sent me something and it literally took like three weeks to get here. Oh, I was like, God. I'm in Pennsylvania, not, you know, yeah. <laughs> way up, uh, you know, an island the Bottom somewhere. tip of the world or something. Yeah, it's yeah. Pennsylvania. I I suppose we can blame it on the snow. Who knows? Yes. Yeah, we will. Yeah, my goodness. So um, you tell me about some successes while you were doing the baby college. Sure. So um, we have graduated. I uh, think our numbers at that time was uh, over 7,000 families. Mm. Um, I worked alongside of uh, really great colleagues and uh, mentors uh, who actually helped to uh, get us all there. But uh, the program was primarily focused on working with uh, families that lived in central Harlem uh, who were raising children, who were expecting, and raising children all the way up to the age of three. Uh, and uh, in doing that work, we've um, graduated uh, families from the nine-week program. We've seen the increase um, when I came on board. We actually seen a large jump and leap in the increase of dads that participated in the program. Um, prior to that, it was kind of viewed as this mom's program. Um, and, um, and what I quickly realized is that uh, people were associating parenting with moms. Yes. Right? Yeah. And so it was like, hey, I'm a parent, right? <laughs> how so. did you, how do you think you crossed that threshold? What got kind of dad buy-in? Because I would agree, even as a mom, yeah. Yeah. I had to fight the burden that I felt like I was asking my husband for a favor to mm. take care of our kids. And it's yeah. like, where yeah. did that get projected? But then th yeah. he didn't have that mindset at all. It was, yeah, 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 so yeah. how'd you get, yeah. you know, it's definitely, it's definitely entrenched in our Americanized view of family, right? <laughs> um, but dads are equally vested in the growth of their children, particularly as it pertains to security and it pertains to legacy, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and when you engage fathers on that level, you get this great opportunity to start seeing both worlds, the world of mom who nurtures and secures her children, a world of dad who uh, wants to make sure that children are provided for and have a legacy beyond uh, the two. And so those two forces coming together are um, exactly what God prescribed that children should have in order to be uh, successful and functional and healthy. And so when we uh, when we did that, when we started listening to dads, um, one of the um, transformations that I had to do with my staff was when a dad comes to the table, when a mom and dad comes to the table, you must acknowledge both of them. Yes. Um, they were just acknowledging moms. They were like, yes, ma'am, may I help you? And how will we work with? And dad is like, you know, I signed us up for this program. So she really doesn't know all the details. And um, so we had to do a, like a rethinking of that. We had to detach what your dad did or did not do versus what this father is coming to do mm -hmm. um, and really uh, kind of dive deep. And, and that was not a one-time lesson. This was an ongoing lesson. Um, male privilege definitely lent to this idea of why we don't even look at um, dads in that way um, because they have um, historically been abusive. 
right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we've seen men um, dominate and uh, become abusive, uh, particularly even in this program. Unfortunately, we've experienced um, times of that. Um, but we also uh, learned that dads are just as much wanting to make sure children are nurtured. Um, we uh, did some really great work with um, making sure that dads understood how children are feel safe. And they feel safe when you love mom. Mm-hmm. And um, in some cases, mom and dad weren't together, uh, and, but were vested in making sure that the child was good. And so they would do the program together. Um, I have one of my mentors, uh, Marilyn Joseph, uh, for the baby college, who was uh, my immediate supervisor at the time, uh, tells of this great story of how uh, there's this mom and dad that come to program, and they are not... Uh, like we're not together. We're here only for the child. So mm-hmm. mom sits in one corner of the building and, and, you know, or the room and dad sits in another corner. And throughout the weeks, we start seeing each week they're moving closer and closer toward each other. Mm-hmm. And by the time graduation is there, they're sitting side by side and they're absolutely proud of the, the work that they've done. Um, the, the work there was extended beyond, you know, race. So it was extended for all economic um, levels. So anyone could be a part. This as long as you had, you were expecting or having a child that was um, being raised from zero to three. So yeah. great work, great times. And, yeah. uh, and it actually led me to where we are now, which was really putting more emphasis on dads and getting dads uh, uh, the attention needed yeah. so that they can be uh, functional and, and being able to sustain the success that their families would experience. Yeah, I love it. Like, so you said, and I want to get to where you are now and all, <laughs> you know, that built up to it. But, you know, you said a few things like, you know, one, making dads count, um, yes. you know, and and I would tout myself, you know, somewhat a, on the feminist spectrum, you know, but yeah. like, the ultra feminism of, you know, women don't need men is as toxic as the toxic masculinity that we talk about because dads do play a huge role in the healthy development, you know, and my husband has always said, you know, we're not raising kids, we're raising healthy, well-balanced, contributing members of society. We're raising adults, we're not raising kids. Yeah. You yeah, know, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We we are setting up the world's next leaders. We yeah. are, we are uh, adding to society. If if more of us as parents would look at the 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 weightiness of the work that we have in terms of um, uh, who are we sending out into this world and how ready are they uh, to do um, to be responsible for the future uh, decisions that they will have to make. Right, because this it starts really with you know, hey, you have this outfit and you have this outfit, and you're saying that to your three year old. Which one would you like to wear today? Mm-hmm. Right, and they begin to understand this concept of making these decisions that um, that um, set them off to this role of independence. Yeah. And so, yeah, we we wanted to look at the intrinsic value uh, that dads brought to the table 
uh, and learn even from touch points how powerful uh, just dads taking the time to read to their children was. That children learned and uh, improved on their diction when fathers read to them, mm -hmm. when the fathers read books. And so we provided books and a lot of wonderful, wonderful things. Yeah, excellent. So how long has the Father Factory been in existence? Yeah, the Father Factory was incorporated in October of 2017 uh, and has been functioning uh, very lightweight um, early on because it was really just kind of um, <clears throat> kind of getting the, this message out. One of the first things that we understood was that we had to uh, make it very apparent that men hurt. Mm. Um, that was a very big lesson for us because um, I, I remember telling uh, some really great friends uh, about this idea of the father factory and they immediately said, well, what about the women? Or, or, yeah. or how to do, you know, how are you going to help out with the women? You know, the men and women and the men. And I was like, wow, that's interesting. And I was like, you know, we're, <clears throat> we're missing the fact that men hurt. Yeah, you know, mm -hmm. you know, like, and then what does that mean? How do men hurt, right? Like, how do men experience pain and, and what that is? What is that about? And, you know, in some ways, you know, it's really based on what their culture has dictated to you, right? What, you know, what, what toxic masculinity, right, has dictated you should um, experience your ways um, of, or your pain. And, and that might be alcoholism. That might be, um, you know, uh, exploiting women. That might be, you know, just trying to be dominant. And uh, it, it manifests in so many different ways. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and as you've said earlier, it's this idea of masking, right? You know, mm -hmm. you've masked this, um, the real issue that's actually happening. And uh, if men are not allowed to hurt, uh, then they will continue to act out in the ways that allow them to express this hurt. And yeah. so we want to say that men hurt and then what are the healthy and functional ways that you experience this hurt? And when we can normalize that, then we can now say this is how men have been hurt. Mm -hmm. um, and particularly through um, childhood um, molestation. Yeah, yeah, because that's a taboo, you know, and I think that's one of the areas that you and I did connect closely on is because with my work with survivors of sexual abuse and trauma, right, like one of the biggest barriers for a male survivor of trafficking is the same barrier of a male survivor of molestation or abuse of it, there's such a stigma of a man being violated of a man being touched that culturally we've constructed this don't talk about it. You can't, and, but it's a barrier, like you're saying, to men getting the help they need and being the fathers that they are yeah. called to be. Yeah. When we look at the statistics around this, we understand that uh, one in every three girls um, and one in every six boys um, will and uh, be molested before the age of 18. And that has been the numbers for many, many years. And so you probably are like, well, I understand and I've seen the numbers in terms of girls, but we've not been paying attention to the numbers in terms of boys. We have not, um, we've just seen boys and what we've called it, boys are just being boys, right? So now my, my, my kid is acting a certain way and eh, that's just how boys are, right? Mm -hmm. um, but the, 
But the silence that we have around certain things, Dr. King talked about, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. talked about this idea that when we are silent, then evil men get to prosper, right? They get this out, they get this opportunity to to live out their evil, and um, and the silence around dealing with young men or boys um, experiencing this type of pain has led to. Uh, rings and rings of uh, of evil that has taken place. Uh, there are documentaries. Uh, you yeah. directed me to uh, a documentary, you know, a, a fascinating documentary. Um, but you you can mention the yeah. um, the title and all that good stuff. But the, the the thought that comes behind that is that there are years and years of um, people preying on young boys uh, to be sex trafficked. Um, to um, to to molest. We out here in um, Pennsylvania, we have seen uh, when I first moved out here. Uh, one of the big stories was 50 years of uh, Catholic Church um, abusing um, hundreds of um, people, yeah. and uh, it was just like, wow, the Father Factory is stepping into this. Yes. So, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, it, yeah, the and you're right. The podcast or the documentary, it's so it was the clown and the candy man. Yes. Um, and it it told the stories of um, Dean Coral and John Wayne Gacy, and you know even went into the details. And I might be interchanging both the podcast and the documentary a bit, but um, you know it even went into the details that uh, we tout Epstein as this big, you know, monstrous criminal, and yet he wasn't even the first pedophile island. Oh, no. Um, no. and you know, and Dean Coral, I was telling you, uh, you know, on one of our off-air conversations, like the, I'm trained to know that abuse and trafficking happens anywhere and everywhere. But then even on the documentary, when I saw that was an everyday home on an everyday street oh, yeah. and there were young men buried inside there was, oh, yeah. Yeah. and it's like, I've been doing this and that was even outside. It, it's just, it some stuff because evil can be so dark oh yes you know yes, you yes, just yes. it's just, it was alarming so i thank you for watching yeah. it because it is a yeah. It, yeah. it's a it shakes her brain you know yeah. and, and, and evil can be so dark and it can be so simulated to our culture that it's undetectable right so that we are it's just a normal everyday thing like uh the the whole trick um the whole deception uh pedophilia is that uh, children are being uh, like 90% of those that are experiencing um, pedophilia or uh, being molested are molested by people that they know. Yes. Yeah. So these aren't like the, the boogeyman, the stranger. The, no. This is actually the, uh, the, the, in that title, the candy man and the clown. These are those two um, pictures. They were or neighborhood images. favorites. Favorites. The, yes. the candy man would give candy to all of the children. His the clown was had, at birthday parties. Yep. Yeah, the clown was at birthday parties. So they were, they had the access, they had the, the, the favor um, with the children, but they also did um, what we uh, understand in this work is they groomed parents as That's well. That's a big word, yeah. Yeah, right. So they took the time to learn the interests of the parents, find out what was the lack of um, was taking place in the child's life, uh, and sought to meet that need to for their advantage. Yeah. And so grooming happens uh, in a number of different ways. Uh, and it's really um, something that we want to pay attention to 
and it, close yeah. all of those doors. It's big because you're right. It's the it's that subtle coercion and it's, you know, the perpetrator doesn't play the short game. They play the long game. Yeah. Um, and you're right. It's, you know, people they know, love and trust because yeah. when I can get on your inner circle as a, you know, as a mom or a dad, well, now I've got access to the kid. And the thing is the kids look to the family to protect them. So if someone has been allowed on the inside, you know, then now the child almost feels um, a, a sense of permission that the perp has, and it's, that's that mind manipulation. The, the mm. perp doesn't have permission just because he's had dinner with your family. They don't know no. the monster he or she is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But kids' brains don't separate the two. Yeah, yeah. And that's so important that you said that, that, that they go for the long run. They're not pragmatic with this. They will be very patient and waiting to get their prey. And th that's what's so evil and dece the deceptive of it, um, that so much attention goes into uh, this this particular lifestyle. And, 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 you know, people will think and say, okay, that's an issue that's over there. I've not experienced it. My children have not experienced it. I'm a little nervous about it, but we're pretty good. How does this really affect us? And what, what we should know is that sexual violence is a public health problem. Yes. You know, and oftentimes, you know, we kind of hear that and, and I, I fear that that becomes a cliche that everybody wants to make their problem a bigger problem than what it is, but it actually is. It's, you're talking about people that will experience suicidal ideations, um, actually commit suicide, um, actually um, have the potential or maybe drawn to go and commit the same kinds of crimes, uh, mental health that is taking place. And what we know now is um, we, we always um, talk about ACEs, right? Yeah. This whole idea of adverse childhood experiences that people are experiencing um, physical and, and um, physical ailments behind this. So it's a bigger problem than what we know. And it's the, it's the, the crime that keeps victimizing you throughout all stages of your life when you have not stopped and had that first thought, which is men hurt, mm -hmm. right? And we have to serve to the dignity of all human beings and look at um, what this actual thing is, yeah. Yeah, excellent. And when you, you know, when you mention men hurt, right? And I kind of wrote down, it's okay for men to hurt. Yes. It's, yes. that is even countercultural. Yes, yeah. um, how do you cry? Right. Yeah. Well, men don't cry. So, yeah, right. yes, yes, <laughs> like it's, yes. you know, and that it's as, as a therapist, even when I, you know, when I start working, it's so different starting to work with a man versus a woman because traditionally and not a full, it's not an all or nothing thing, but traditionally for every like 10 feeling words a woman has, mm. a guy's got one, you know? And yeah, in my, yeah, I even yeah. referenced and I got my husband's permission cause it kind of, it didn't yeah. throw him under the bus. But when we yeah. first met, he had three feelings, good, mm. bad, and I don't know. Wow. Of which me as a woman knew none of those yeah. were real feelings. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> 10 years into the marriage. Those are like, spectrums. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, he so. now, and he's gotten better, better, right? But like, yeah. so the joke is he's got good, bad, melancholy and angry. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like, okay, well now we got four. Yeah, your feeling is getting in there. Yeah, 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 but, yeah. You know, but, and I feel like that's conditioned because yeah. quit crying, boys don't cry, you know? Yeah. Get over it, toughen up. All yeah. those micro messages yeah. tell men yeah. 
you can't hurt, which means if anything bad happens, it's not allowed to affect you is what that translates to. Yeah. 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 We've got to bring this out of all of those hidden places um, that are in hindsight, like not even in hindsight, that are right in front of us, right? That we're just not paying attention to. And it starts with that idea of uh, moving from that good, bad indifference uh, to really putting some feel words that um, <clears throat> and allowing ourselves to feel uh, experience um, what actually happened because uh, it, you know this idea of like um, uh, it, there's work that talks about the how emotions are associated with certain sicknesses that manifest in us and one of them uh, one of the studies were talking about how being a care keep care uh, giver uh, and always kind of like holding things in associates with development of cancer in our bodies mm. uh, and you know and so whether you know the science is foolproof or anything, what we do understand is that there's a spiritual perspective to all of the things that we are actually experiencing, and we've got to investigate that. Every 73 seconds, America, uh, an American is sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. Every 73 seconds. That's rain.org if you want to look at that stack. You know, um, the one in three, one in six is male survivors. You can look at that. You want to look at some more stats on things, you can go to cdc.gov, um, dark to light, uh, six in one.org. Um, but all of these will actually speak and, and speak loud to those things. Um, you know, some of the things that we just code and we don't even acknowledge are the issue is really around this idea of how do we how do we um, ign- how do we expose it what are we exposing what are we looking for when we say this is molestation and I have a, like just a few things that I wanted to say in reference to that like yeah. so there's a list of this right so child sexual abuse includes but is not limited to exhibitionism exposing oneself to a minor. Uh, fondling a minor, um, having intercourse um, with a minor, masturbation in the presence of a minor, or forcing a minor, uh, masturbation of a minor, uh, having obscene conversations with minors and showing obscene um, images, uh, actually having uh, any kind of sex, uh, sex trafficking, uh, and any other um, sexual conduct that haunts the uh, mental, emotional, or physical welfare of a child. And I think that's really important because what it does is it broadens our understanding of molestation. Um, so, you know, I'll have people on my show and, I, and uh, to some extent, people are kind of uh, pushing this idea of like a disclaimer that everyone that comes on the show hasn't been molested. And I'm like, I don't know how all right I am with that, right? Uh, and not that I want people to think otherwise, but I are you doing it because don't put that label on me, you know, it's still so taboo that um, we are, you know, fighting against that um, when other things have been normalized mm-hmm. uh, for us to actually deal with them. So yeah. it's really interesting. It is. And it's good to look at the full spectrum because you're right. How many of... Um, you know, how many of those, the list of abuse and molestation behaviors have, you know, do families normalize? Um, And and it's just how I grew up. Well, but, but normal doesn't mean healthy. Yes. 
yeah, and, absolutely. and helping people construct and then having that sense of that aha and then awareness, because if we don't recognize it, we can't heal from it, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, they, these behaviors that stem are likely behaviors that we can um, be aware of and um, take notice of is when our children uh, all of a sudden develop um, these phobias. Mm. Right. So now there's this phobia that arises. Um, one of the things that we learn in uh, mental health uh you know, the mental health world is that when there's a change in hygiene or refusing to bathe or excessive bathing, right, can actually be signs of or, or this manifestation of these behaviors, um, exhibiting signs of depression, right? <clears throat> Post-traumatic stress disorder uh, is definitely a hint to some traumatic event that took place in a individual's life. And we want to pay attention to that and then start doing our investigation around that. The expressions of suicide, um, the, the ideations, or even um, attempting to commit suicide. And this is really, especially something that we should look at with adolescents, right? Mm. That is that time that they're formulating who am I? What is my identity? What is my significance? Um, you know, uh, I grew up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, uh, New York. And out there, um, very early on, you know, there's these challenges of life. How long are you going to live? Like, what is that about? Um, and many uh, friends and many people that I know could not see life pass a certain age, right? And so there's some trauma, some trauma that's actually happened that actually informs that point of view and that worldview. That's really important that we're looking at that. Inappropriate sexual knowledge and behavior is yeah. a big sign, right? Yeah. So now there's, you know, I've got all of this knowledge and you can get these knowledges, uh, this knowledge from TikTok, yep. these TikToks that are out here and this social media and even some of the video games that, you know, yeah. kids are playing. Um, it, they are actually exposing them to a lot of uh, this stuff that is here. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I would add too. Now that I think is also exposure to pornography at yes. an early age oh, is yeah. a form, and yes, you know, and I think of even how normal, you know, even when I was twelve and I was babysitting, yeah. I remember in you know one of the people's houses, it, like the husband had penthouse or whatever the. Yeah. like right beside the living room couch yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah i mean if i yeah. could find it the kids could find it yeah it, yeah you know and yeah. they were five and seven like yeah. what is that yeah. and but yeah. and that sort of thing abuses what could be you know healthy yeah. um development in life yeah and, and that's so interesting right you know because you know, the, the, the part of grooming uh, is so deceptive and so, mm. uh, you know, you know, I'm wondering, yeah, right. I wonder like if the Ooh. magazines were left out because you were going to be babysitting. Yeah. You know, like, it, you know, so it, it, it's, 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 it has my this skin effect. crawl. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it has these effects and it's so like um unassuming i guess in a sense like you know like uh i didn't say it but i'm presenting it and putting it out there yep. and now this is that world that i'm wow. ushering you into and wanting you to experience i think that's re it's really important like my my sons now you know see certain commercials and they're like ew ah right yep. you know, and you're like wow we didn't 
have certain commercials that were as explicit yeah. as the ones that we do have. So we need to mitigate um, this, the evil in our society um, in a way that um, keeps to the, the <clears throat> innocence of our children and ourselves to a large extent. Yeah. yeah. And I think that because one of the things I wrote down is like, you know, how do we help and how do we expose? But I think you, you bring up a great point of like, just because society or culture has desensitized and normalized, you know, so what we need to do is dial back the knob yes. to what is appropriate and healthy, not what's normal nowadays. Yeah. And yeah. well, one of the ways of approaching that sometimes, it, you know, you, you feel like the preacher on the soapbox, right? And ah, change and change, right? Uh, one of the ways of approaching uh, any kind of op opposite, um, uh, you know, opposition, right? opposition and yep. opposing view is to really start with where, what, what's the outcome and what's the goal that we're all trying to reach? Because, you know, parents that, and we talk about spanking, right? Uh, yeah. This whole idea is non-spanking of children, right? Parents that, spank have an end result and that's really similar to parents that don't spank right they want their children to behave right and so now what we need to stop we need to stop and say okay so we have this end result does and will your actions in between help us reach that end result mm. right so in society if we're going to have nudity and um, freedom of expression sexually in, a, in these different ways what end result are we trying to produce and do any of those help to serve to get us to that end result? And I think therein lies the reasoning and the conversations that need to be had yeah. uh, between parents even. You know, sometimes in households, there's two different viewpoints of how uh, this goes. And, and I'll say this is I often say this on, on different uh, talks that I have, and that is around, you know, how we function as a unit how we function as an extended family, where um, if grandparents subvert the authority of parents, children are learning, right, that we can have a, a, a um, we can trump what the law that has been set down mm -hmm. and um, adopt to something different. And we could probably have secrets on the side. So mm -hmm. grandparents, I'm going to give you this candy that your parents, don't tell them here, here, you know, mm -hmm. grandma loves you. Grandpa loves you, right? Um, and they kind of learn this idea that, wow, we can keep a secret outside of mom and dad. Yeah. And that is exactly so what dangerous. do. So parent, grandparents aren't the pedophile, right? right? We're not saying every grandparent that does that is a pedophile. But what we are saying is that we want to align our beliefs and our um, ways that we will function as units so that it is a consistent message for children to have. Um, throughout um, their life and they're growing. That's huge because you're right. I think consistency um, is key because when kids learn and I mean, years and years, you're absolutely right of seeing that is when kids learn different rules for different people, yeah. Yeah. then we're creating um, very convenient access points, you yeah. know, for yeah. grooming. Yeah, um, and those different rules for different people that don't, that don't coincide with the overarching rule, right? Yeah. You know, so while um, God creates us and we're in our Black History Month, right? When God creates all of these different ethnic groups, he doesn't say, 
take away your ethnic group, right? You know, he created the ethnic groups, right? But all of the ethnic groups are to submit their culture to the overarching um, guidelines of God and how he seeks forth that life should be. And so like we do the same thing, right? We assimilate into uh, ways that honor um, this end result um, and ideally for Christians, that which um, God commands us to do. But then in, you know, in societies that don't believe, we do have some similar end results that we want. And uh, how do we begin to think through what will best serve to get us to those end results? Yeah, yeah, that's huge. Because you're right. I mean, there's still universal truths. Yes, yeah. and you and I both being people of faith, right? So yeah. Outside a Christian worldview, there's still universal truths of, you know, treating people with dignity and worth, you know, and so we've got to challenge, you know, whether it's family or cultural beliefs that do not unify toward dignity and worth, you know, I, I, all, I use the example at in class because sometimes in, in the realm of social work, we get really focused on, um, you know, um, celebrating cultural norms. Yeah, and, yeah. and I say, be careful mm-hmm. because genital mutilation is a cultural norm, in mm. some, right? Uh-huh. And yeah. so just because it's a cultural norm doesn't mean it promotes dignity That's right. and worth. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and that's it's so powerful, right? Because we, we, we bow down to cultural norms, right? And, um, and don't think of those cultural norms that um, are serving to be toxic, you know, for the long run, right? Um, like what, in the long run, what are we looking to accomplish here? And what we see in the immediate is that it, you know, this mutilation doesn't serve to our um, overarching truths that we say we um, believe in. Yeah, powerful. I love it. So the, yeah, the will your actions reach your desired end result. Yeah. And, yeah. and that is quite a unifying question, you know, and I even yeah. think politically, right? With like yeah. two yeah. sides who really desire a healthy, strong society. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Then will <laughs> your actions and your yeah. actions, re- you know, reach yeah. that desired end result? And yeah. and and so what does, you know, yeah. that bipartisan when it comes to parenting, yes. when it comes to, yes. you know, I love it because it is, that's a, it's a non, non-aggressive. It's, it's a unifying, I'm, yeah. I'm going to come into your corner and yeah. help you actually achieve your goal because you yeah. think spanking is working. However, yeah. yeah. How's yeah. that working for you? <laughs> yeah, how's that working for you? Yeah, that, that big question um, really makes us introspectively view things and say, okay, um, am I subscribing to this because it feeds me right, or and rewards me? Or am I subscribing to this because it actually helps um, this child? And then that, if it helps, does it help in the long run? Right, you know, because um, when I would teach on spanking, I would say, you know, hey, listen, I'm gonna tell you guys a secret. I'm gonna close this door. I don't want my boss to hear me. Spanking works. And then the whole class is like, oh my gosh, he said that? These guys always tell us not to. And I was like, but let's look at how it works. It works in the immediate, right? And then what do you mean the immediate? Well, it'll get your child to not do what you told them to do when you're around. Mm. But when you're not around, they will look and find ways to do this thing and not get the moral sense of why they should not have done it. 
Now, what do you want when you are long gone from this life? Do you want them to depend on, I'm looking over my shoulder to see if my parent is there, or I'm going to make this moral decision based on what I um, judge is right and wrong. Hmm. And all the time I would get parents that would be like, wow, didn't see yeah. it, didn't know it. But that's, that's, you know, that's what we have to do. That's the whole idea the scripture talks about when it says, come, let us reason together. Yeah. That's, that's reasoning, you yeah. know? Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, and I know we could go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I so appreciate you. Um, it, I mean, I, again, when I, when we first connected, it was like, oh my gosh, like another kindred spirit. Like I'm yes, not crazy. Yes. <laughs> Aces are so important. I'm not crazy in knowing yeah. families can be healthy. I'm not, you know, or Hassan's crazy with me. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, definitely um, in a line, uh, you know, with the Father Factory, we are focusing on those fathers. Um, we're looking at this intergenerational yeah. um, effects and impact that uh, has happened because of childhood uh, molestation. And so while one um, part of uh, or family member had um, experience um, being fondled, another one may have experienced exhibitionalism, um, and another one may have been um, violated, physically violated. Um, they all have experience under that umbrella, sexual molestation. And we may have, this may have been a generational thing um, that allows us to continue to stay silent on this issue. And so what we do is this, we do um, courses around this work of um, unfolding, right? We're talking about like reclaiming the narrative of our lives around this idea of what took place and that we are looking at um, what took place as the idea that we have ex, um, sustained an injury, mm -hmm. right? And um, in sustaining an injury, you have to tend to those to those wounds. And then in tending to those wounds, we have to make these readjustments in our lives. What does it mean to be a father who has been molested? What does it mean to be a leader who has been molested? What does it mean to leave a legacy and you have experienced molestation? What are you conscious of that you are um, in terms of hurt that you are passing on to your child? What fragment, fragmented pieces of your life are you saying here, take this with you? Um, because the idea of this is anxiety, right? Uh, can be passed down. You can yeah. make your child just so anxious about everything around you because this is what you have not processed and you have not dealt with. Uh, so when we, when we do that work, we are uh, really addressing what's at the root what's the root cause of what's uh, manifesting these behaviors in our lives. And we want to um, make us healthy and be able to sustain the, the, um, the future success that we will have. Yes, absolutely. So how, if we've got a dad even listening now, you know, how does somebody get in touch with you? Oh, beautiful. So you can definitely go to our website, thefatherfactory.com. And, uh, and you can go to our contact um, page and, and leave that email, leave your information. You can definitely be a part. We are also looking for volunteers that were 
that have experienced childhood sexual molestation, uh, males particularly right now, uh, and that will say, I would like to engage in uh, a course, a 12-week course around this subject. This is like our, our trial um, subject that we're actually doing and course that we're putting that we've put together. Uh, and you can go to our website to get that information as well. You can email me directly if you like, thefatherfactory at gmail.com. Uh, I would love to hear from you. Uh, tell me what you even thought about this talk and say, hey, you talked too much about that or I needed to hear more about this or things were great. Uh, either way, we love to hear from you. Uh, we're excited about doing this work and spreading this this news and and go to our gift shop and purchase something to help support um, what we're doing. Uh, we are uh, always doing these uh, great opportunities in in our neighborhoods all throughout America. Awesome. Yeah, it is awesome. So Hassan Daniel with the Father Factory and just really with a passion to help men and fathers heal. Um, to be the best God-ordained leaders for their family. So thank you so very much. And I'm sure, or I hope we do this again soon. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. Absolutely.